This is Dean Mathis, the Director of Capital Ministries, Michigan. Today, I want us to talk about misguided love. Love, of course, is a characteristic of God himself. And because we are created in God's image by God, then we have this characteristic within us. It is a tremendous gift. It is the driving, motivational, governing factor of our lives in many ways. But if it is misguided, misplaced, or exercised on the wrong objects or the wrong way, it will be the greatest tragedy of our existence. And the Bible has a lot to say about how we use this incredible gift that God has given us. It can be a source of unbelievable blessing, or it can be the biggest disaster of our entire existence. We're going to look today at the letter of 1 John, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And we read these words, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lasts or abides forever. So, this short paragraph of three verses warns us about misguided love. And it begins by saying that we're not to love the world or the things in the world. Now, what on earth does that mean? The word world in the Greek language is the word cosmos. It's from which we get our English word, literally, cosmos, and also from which we get our word cosmetic, which means to arrange or make pleasing to look at. But just like the Greek word, our English word has different meanings depending upon the context in which you used it. Both words, the one in Greek and the one in English, could mean, first of all, the universe itself, the cosmos, we call it. Or it could mean the planet Earth, the world. You can go around the world, so to speak. Or it could mean all of mankind. We see it used that way in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So it could mean the people on earth. But this is not the meaning that is being used here in either the Greek word cosmos or the word that is translated accurately, the English word world. Now what this means here, used by definition of context, is it is referring to that organized system, evil system, with its principles and its practices all under the authority of Satan, the world system under the authority of Satan, which excludes God. It's in rebellion against God. That's the element, the thing called the world, which he's, which he's talking about. And it includes all of the teachings, ideas, cultures, and activities in that system that are opposed to God. A fixation on the material over the spiritual, promotion of self over others, pleasure over principle. These are just a few descriptors of this world system that John is talking about. So the word world here means everything that opposes Christ and his work on earth. Jesus 
called Satan the prince of the world in John chapter 14. And Paul called Satan the god of this world in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. And in Luke 16, verse 8, Jesus referred to people who don't believe in him as the sons of this world. Now, we use that term world also to describe systems here on earth. For example, in 1961, I remember when ABC launched the wide world of sports for the first time. There were three networks, ABC, NBC, and CBS. And ABC was trying to corner something very unique in the television world. And that was the world of sports. And it was literally about every conceivable kind of sport in the world, from rodeo to curling. It covered it. And we can all remember the opening credits and the music, even, where it talked about the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. As we watched that poor Scandinavian ski jumper crash week after week and be thrown off the uh, ski jump. They kept showing that because obviously the guy wasn't hurt. Uh, had he been hurt, they wouldn't have shown that over and over. But nevertheless, that element, the thrill of victory, the agony of feet will forever stay in our consciousness. ABC continues to air sports events under this particular banner. The wide world of sports ran for 37 years, and it is the longest single-running sports show in the history of television. Now, the world of sports today is a multi-billion dollar industry with teams, owners, players, coaches, games, rules, events, fans, stadiums, equipment, schedule, merchandise, memorabilia, etc., etc. It goes on and on and on. It encompasses everything from little kids, volunteer leagues, high school sports, college sports, to the pros of all kinds all over the world. So there is a, a literal world of sports. The same thing could be said of the of the world of fashion. It is a system of merchandising and design and marketing and all of that. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. There are all kinds of, of worlds like that. We talk about the world of politics, the world of media, all of these different kinds of systems out there. Well, any of those systems can fit into this category that John is talking about here, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us about here, in that anything that becomes the focus of our lives rather than God first can become in and of itself an idol. And we're not to love things or even people like that to the exclusion of God. We're beginning with loving God first. And then if that's in the right place, then all of our affections will be toward things like the world systems will be put in their right place and will not be a negative in our lives. Now, he talks about some inordinate kinds of love. All that is in the world in verse 16, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father. This doesn't come from God, but comes from the world. Those are elements of worldly lust. And it describes our fleshly desires, desires for things that we see, desires for things that we want. We, you know, we can talk about we love chocolate. We love people in our lives, all of that sort of thing. Some of it is good. Some of it can be bad. But when it morphs into lust, it can be lust after anything. And when it becomes that, it becomes really an inordinate desire. And that's what the Greek word means, an inordinate desire for something. 
It literally means to be hot after something. In fact, if you listen to young people, they sometimes talk that way about uh, certain things in life. So it involves any kind of inordinate desire about any object of our affection. And then it can also morph into a boastful pride of life. We're all aware of the person that always has to one-up everybody, the boastful braggart. And we take pride in things sometimes inordinately, and that can become a lust, the lust to be perceived as or to have more or have a position above somebody else. And so John says, don't do that. Don't lust after things like that. And uh, these things are not from God. When we have a focus that is away from the spiritual part of our lives, it's not from God, and therefore it will not be a blessing to us or to others as it flows out of our lives. And then it gives us a really good reason for why we shouldn't do this, why our focus should not be just on the world. It needs to be first and foremost on the spiritual part of our lives because this world is passing away. The world system and the entire created order has a built-in design flaw. It is temporary. Just look around you. The world in which we live is already on the way out the door. The world we live in is on the way to ending. The Bible says there will definitely be an end of the world. As we know it, there will be a new world in the future. Now, how far out there that is, we don't know. It is some time away. But nevertheless, this world is going to end. We all know in our own lives that if Jesus tarries, we're going to die physically. Our lives will end. And when they end, everything we've been chasing after is going to end with it. It will be over. Now, what if an investor came to you and said, man, I've got a deal for you, dude. If you make an investment with me, I guarantee you a return for the first three or four years. But after that, you're going to lose your shirt and go bankrupt. Well, you'd be insane to invest in a project like that. But that is exactly what John is saying here is going to happen to you and to me if our investment of the most precious commodity have, that is our love, our focus, our drive is on stuff that is literally going to pass away. What a waste. We've just blown the biggest opportunity that we've had on something that will completely disappear. Charles Dutton, the character actor, spent seven years in prison for manslaughter as a young man. While he was there, though, he developed an interest in acting and participated in some plays. Upon his release, he got some small parts on Broadway and hit it big in the Broadway production, The Piano Player. His career, then, brought him into movies and television where he became an excellent character actor. After his Broadway success, he was asked in an interview, how did you make the remarkable transition through those prison years to Broadway? And he said, well, unlike the other prisoners, I never decorated my cell because I wanted to be reminded every day that this place I was in is temporary. Dutton never regarded 
his cell as his permanent home. In the same way, we are not to regard this world or the world systems that we live in as our home. To love it is folly because it is passing away. A friend of mine named a message, a sermon after this, Don't Decorate Your Cell. And I think that's a pretty good summary of this wonderful paragraph from John's letter that really kind of puts it in capsule form. And we see all around us people doing foolish things and wasting their lives, literally. According to the Chicago Tribune, on March the 3rd, 1995, a 38-year-old man was walking to his temporary job at a warehouse in Rosemont, Illinois, and he was trying to get there by cutting across eight lanes of the Tri-State Tollway. And he got across the first four northbound lanes, but the wind blew his hat off, and the hat flew back across the northbound lanes, and incredibly, he turned around and chased it. Well, a tractor-trailer truck struck him and killed him. You know, a person can lose everything by chasing after nothing. And here's the warning that John is giving us. We stand too much to lose by chasing after the world and the world system or anything that is going on in your life that's starting point is not God. Why? Because it is literally passing away. And then he says something really very powerful. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Now, it would be superfluous to remind us that God lives forever. But notice what he says here. The one who does the will of God also lives forever. So if you want to live forever, if you want to invest your love and your focus on something that really is going to last forever, talk about a dividend that pays off in eternity, then listen to what he says. The one who does the will of the Father lives forever. So the will of the Father involves the love of the Father. Well, what is it that it's the will of the Father? Well, we're not left to guess about that at all. First and foremost, it carries the truth. We are to believe in his son. The word believe, both in English and in Greek, carries the idea of something that I am convinced is true. So there's something I need to be convinced is true. There's something that God wants me to believe. First and foremost, it says in John 3:16, for God so loved the world. That means people there that he gave his only begotten son. That is, we're talking about Jesus when God became incarnate as a human being. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that includes me, that includes you, whoever, whosoever believes in him, whosoever is convinced that the Bible account of Jesus in the Gospels is true will have eternal life. That's what John is talking about here. And John is the one who wrote that verse also. This is how we abide forever. The very first thing I do is accept God's love offered to me through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That is what the New Testament calls the good news. That is our door into eternal life. That is the thing that gets us into God's world. It gets us out of this one and into God's world. It is a step of faith, but it's not blind faith. It is based upon the demonstrable historical fact of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, let me just review what the good news is. 
the Bible teaches me clearly, both in Old Testament prophecy and in New Testament fulfillment, that God became a human being through the person of Jesus Christ, the miracle of the incarnation, which includes the virgin birth. Then Jesus did what no man has ever done, and the New Testament makes that clear, both in the gospel accounts and in the letters that explain the gospel accounts. Jesus was sinless. He's the only man that ever lived that never sinned in thought, word, or deed. He never sinned against God, and he never sinned against a single human being. He always told the truth. He always did the truth, and he always submitted his will to the will of God. That's why, as a man, he did what none of us can do, and he fulfilled the law of God, both the law of conscience written on our hearts and the Mosaic law. Then Jesus died on the cross. Now, obviously, if he hadn't sinned, he didn't have a death penalty on his life because it's only those who have the wages of sin is death. That's where death comes from is because of our sin. We inherited it from Adam, and we actualize it in our lives when we reach a point of accountability, and it happens very young in our lives. Well, Jesus died not for his sins, the Bible says, but for ours because he is the God-man. He is God become human in order to do what only God can do, but to do only what only a sinless man could do, that is to die for our sins. And then to prove that that was true and that the sins had been removed, God raised Jesus from the dead. And Jesus is resurrected now, sitting at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places, and he will come back. Now, when I love the Father, when I love God, I believe that good news because God wants me to have his love. God wants me to have his forgiveness. God wants me to receive this great gift. Now, after I do that, the Holy Spirit enters my life. The Bible talks about it as being Christ in you. Well, it is the Holy Spirit who comes into our lives. The Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit. And I don't understand the Trinity. I accept it because the Bible teaches it, that God is three persons in one person. He is this God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three separate persons, and yet one in will and purpose in his love for me, his love for you. And so when I believe in him, when I trust him, when I accept this gift of grace, then I am given eternal life. I'm put in right standing with God. Now I can love God back. And I will also have a desire to love God and also a capacity to obey the things that he wants me to do, to think the way he wants me to think, to act the way he wants me to act, and to contribute to this life in the way that blesses me, others, and honors him. That, my friends, is not misguided love, but that is guided love that blesses everything that it touches. So. Don't have a misguided love. Don't decorate your cell. This is a temporary holding place we're in right here. Invest your life. Invest the greatest gift God has given you, your capacity like him to love into that which is eternal. I promise you it will come back with a dividend so big you can't spend it all ever. May God richly bless you.